Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. We are examining the covenant life of God within the covenant life of the people of God, the church. And last week, Scott asked us the question, what governs the center of my life? What is my life actually orbiting around? We all would want to say, Jesus. But what is your life actually centered around? We all have some center that is shaping us. And last week, if you missed the sermon, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Scott did a great job preaching what he joked about as his farewell sermon, if he was ever going to have a farewell sermon, which it was not his farewell sermon. He's going nowhere. But I would encourage you to listen to it. It was excellent. He essentially walked us through the story of Scripture, showing how God has called his people to structure their life together in such a way so that the mission of God advances through the life of the people of God. So this morning, though, we want to ask the question, in light of the covenant God has made with his people and through his people, what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to belong to this covenant family? Ask yourself, what does it mean to belong to a church? What does it mean in your mind to belong to this, to say, I belong to that church? What does that mean? For some people, that means regular attendance on a Sunday. For some people, belonging means you serve on Sunday. For some people, belonging means, well, you have to be part of a community group. What, what does it mean to belong? I would even encourage you to write that down. What does that mean to belong? How do you qualify that? What we see, though, again, we want to be good students of our context. We want to be aware of, like, where do we live in time and history and even within our country? Often in the U.S., particularly with American Christians, belonging to a church is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. Anyone familiar with the Choose Your Own Adventure book series from back in the day? Anybody? Show of hands. So this is a popular book series that sadly often mimics what life in Jesus can look like for some people. Choose Your Own Adventure was a book series written that would start off with some adventure and you and your friends were going on some journey, but then you'd read a couple pages in and you'd say, okay, you come now to a crossroads. Do you do this or do you do this? Then based on what decision you make, you'd turn to a certain page number and then continue your journey. So sometimes you'd be on a voyage to go find a treasure and you'd come to a storm. Do you turn around and go back to port or do you try to press through the storm? You'd be journeying up a mountain and you come to this river and there's an alligator. Do you swim across, you try to fight the alligator or you try to go up and sometimes you would make the wrong decision and you would die in the book. Sometimes if you were like me, you'd keep your finger in one spot and you'd flip ahead and say, is that the right decision? Okay, let me, let me make the other decision. So, fun books, great books to read as a kid, but that is not what following Jesus looks like. Following Jesus is not a choose-your-own-adventure. You choose whatever you want it to look like. But often in the church... We don't really think about what Jesus calls us to, what the scriptures call us to. We think, what works best for me? Let me do me. I will do what I think is best. If you don't like living in community, 
That's fine, just don't be part of a community. If you don't like coming to a building on a Sunday because it's really a great time for brunch, well, then just don't come to a building on a Sunday. If you don't like being asked to serve people who are hard to serve, then just find people who are just like you and only hang out with them. If you don't really like the way your church is doing something, there are 50 other options, and you could go to any other church you want. You like preaching in one church and the worship in the other? Go to church wherever you want. Pick two. You don't like the pastors because they maybe don't preach enough about one thing or they don't care for people the way you think they should. Well, go somewhere else. What I'm saying you might even recognize in your own heart or see in our culture because we think following Jesus and belonging to his church is a choose-your-own-adventure. And before you get mad at me for maybe describing you in maybe some of those ways, you want to know who wrote that list? Me. I'm describing myself. Even as a pastor, I regularly choose my own adventure with following Jesus. I regularly say, well, I don't really like these people, or I don't really want to do this, or I'd rather ignore this about Scripture. I regularly am also guilty of this. So don't, don't feel like you have to like, put your guards up and try to defend yourself. We can be honest and say, yeah, we all, we all do this in some way this morning. We all pick and choose and pass on what we think belonging to Jesus and his people looks like. And what's interesting is the church in Philippi wrestled with the exact same things. Paul wrote this letter to one of the original churches in the New Testament who were trying to figure out what does it mean that we belong to Jesus, but now we belong to each other. So that's what we're gonna look at today. So let me just pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into the book of Philippians. Jesus, we do ask for your help. Ask Jesus that you would give us wisdom and insight, that you would give us humility to listen to you, Spirit, this morning. I pray, Jesus, that people would not remember what Nate said they would remember, Spirit, what you have pressed into them today. Jesus, thank you that our confidence this morning is in your Spirit who's speaking through your word. So I pray, God, that you would even use someone who is weak and fearful like me to make clear what you want to say to Redemption Church today. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in Philippians. If you're not there yet, turn there, whether the Bible in front of you, there's some pew Bibles scattered, grab that, use that, or if you want to look it up on your phone. The book of Philippians, if you are maybe a little unfamiliar with it, is an incredible book. I would actually encourage you this week to even just sit and read the whole book. It takes an average reader roughly 14 minutes. So like, grab your favorite cup of coffee, go to a Starbucks, do whatever, and just sit and read Philippians. It's amazing. And in the church in Philippi, they had a lot of fighting. There was a lot of disunity. There were different wings and sides of, well, I think this is what we should do. Well, no, I think we should do this. Well, these people believe this over here, but these people don't really like those people over there. Doesn't that sound like the church today? Yeah, the, the exact same things were happening in Philippi. And what's amazing about Philippians is that Paul introduces a word to the Christian church that previously had never been really part of the religious community. The Jews had never really used this word. This is a word from the world of commerce, the world of business, the world of broader culture. And Paul now takes this word and says, 
this word is describing how the people of God are to do life together. And most of us have probably heard this word without really knowing what this word is. The word is fellowship, partnership, belonging. The, the Greek word is koinonia, which if you've been in the church any length of time, you've maybe heard people talk about koinonia. But it's this word that means togetherness, partnering in a common endeavor, a common mission together. Maybe you've heard of different fellowships, a business fellowship, the fellowship of the ring, which we try to mention every Sunday here at Redemption. Just a joke. Maybe some of you have been in a fellowship together, a study fellowship, a work fellowship. It's a group of people participating in something together. And what you maybe didn't know is that this word, and again, look, look at Philippians right now. It's, in my Bible, it's two and a half pages long. This word shows up six times in these two and a half pages. So I think this is a pretty important word to Paul. So what I want us to do is see how Paul weaves this word throughout his letter, showing us what partnership in belonging to each other looks like. So we're going to look briefly at these six uses, and then I'm going to draw out some implications for us from that. So open up to Philippians. I'm going to do a quick overview of the Philippian theology of partnership. So look at chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's that word, partnership. Our English Bibles translated it as partnership right there. One scholar writes this. This word, partnership, connotes a variety of close relationships. Partnership means close relationship involving a shared interest. So marriage, family, friendship, business partnerships, ownership of property, citizenship in a country, religious organizations, these were all partnerships that people could be in together. So Paul is saying, look again at the text, in Jesus we have a common bond in the gospel. Look at the next, uh, if you jump over to verse six, just right underneath that, he writes this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You might be thinking, okay, you missed something here. The word is not there. So that word partakers, if you're a, one of those people who writes in your Bible, which I am, I encourage you to do that, circle that word. That's the word there. They translated it differently in English. But that word has the same root. Those who are in partnership. Partakers is partnership. So he's saying, you are all now partners with me in the fellowship of grace. Moving on to chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, there's the word participation, in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. So Paul is describing this intense bond, this intense unity, this oneness that they have together, and it's a participation in what? In the Spirit, in the Spirit who has brought them together. Circle that there. Moving to chapter 3, verse 8. 
you look at 8 through 10, we're not going to read this whole section here, but if you scroll down to verse 10, he writes that I may know him, Jesus, the power of his resurrection, that I may share his suffering. That word share his suffering, there's that word again, that koinonia, that partnership, that oneness in Jesus' suffering. Paul is saying here that he shares in Jesus' suffering, which is similar to how people who have gone through a difficult ordeal who've gone through a painful experience together, have a bond. Like Think about like the stories of military veterans. For those of you who have served our country in the military, you know the bond that forms when you've gone through a, a painful experience together, some type of combat or a mission together. You know this oneness. So Paul is saying, I have this oneness with Jesus because I too have suffered with him. We are moving pretty quick here. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You've probably heard these verses before. You're like, man, these are great verses. Next sentence. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. If you were like me, you'd probably not really think there's anything there. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Friends, that's not a throwaway phrase. Paul is talking about this amazing reality that he can abound in all circumstances because of Jesus who's with him. But then he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Share my trouble. There's that word partnership to be one with me, to be in fellowship with me in my trouble. What do you think that means? How would that change the meaning of that phrase? Paul is describing the lengths that he knows that Jesus will be sufficient in all things. And how does he know that? Through his friends who were one with him in suffering. Paul's not just having this individual rogue Christian relationship. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. I know he's enough. Paul knows that true because he has friends who partnered with him, who were with him in his suffering. Do you see that connection? That completely changes the way that we see Paul's theology working out. It was through their partnership with him that he knew Jesus is going to strengthen me for all things. Because look at these people who are partnering with me, even when I'm being persecuted and threatened for Jesus. These people are showing me, oh man, he's gonna supply all my needs. So again, are you already connecting the dots that that relationship with Jesus is being experienced through the people of Jesus? And then the next verse, verse 15, Paul writes that they, this church, were the first and only church at that time that partnered with him in the gospel. So he has a very unique, special relationship with the church in Philippi. So again, we just blasted through six different uses of this word partnership. So it's no stretch of the imagination, even in that quick flyby, to see that this idea of oneness, belonging, unity, fellowship, is deeply ingrained into the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what we see is that because of Jesus, and Paul makes it very clear, it's because of his spirit who's dwelling in us, that we are not just partners with Jesus, but that happens through our partnership 
with each other. So in our remaining couple minutes this morning before we jump into our picnic, I want us to consider some implications of this partnership, of this participation, of what it means to belong together. First off, this means that our life together is through Jesus and in Jesus. Our life together as partners comes from the fact that we don't just love hanging out together, but that we are in Jesus together. Because that's really important to realize because if you stick around in the church long enough, there's gonna be a lot of people you don't like. There's gonna be a lot of people that you will disagree with on things. I mean, think about it right now. There are probably a lot of Christians that you know of, and maybe even here in Redemption, who you disagree with on a whole host of things. Politics, the border, COVID, racism in America, how the gifts of the Spirit should operate in the church, how much a Christian should do whatever but how much do those things change in your mind when you realize that those people are partners with you in Jesus and through Jesus? Is there room in your life for people who might disagree with you? You actually can say, we can disagree on these things because of this partnership that we have in and through Jesus. This doesn't mean that our views and opinions on things don't matter. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important to work through together. But what this means is that when we actually realize our partnership with Jesus, those things can actually put in their right places. Those things that seem to be the dominant, loudest issues are actually not the most important things because our oneness and togetherness in Jesus is actually what drives how we even view all of those things. And this is so important, and this, this might be one of the most important pieces of this sermon. It's definitely one of the most important pieces of who we are is redemption. This is so important because when we, the church, know how to live as partners in and through Jesus, that directly ties into our life together on mission. The way we figure out life and belonging and unity together directly ties into witness. Because if you think about it, this is another thing you can write down. Like, think about this. What is the greatest way that we show the world Jesus is king? What do you think is the greatest way right now? I mean, just, you don't have to shout out. You can if you want, but like, what is the greatest way that the church demonstrates that the king has not only overcome death, but is now reigning over all things, all powers, all principalities, all rulers in the world? How do we show the fact that Jesus is king? Is it by loving the poor? That's really important. How about being people who could, you know, stump the atheists? That's important, being able to defend the faith, but is that the way that we really show Jesus is king? How about being people who are super moral? We don't sleep around. We don't watch bad movies. We don't do these things. We're, we're very moral, upright people. Our morality shows people that Jesus is king. That, that's important, right? We're called to actually honor Jesus with our lives, with our bodies, Our life together in belonging to each other is the way we most clearly show the world the new king has arrived. This is the second implication of our partnership coming out of this theology of partnership that the church's communion, our belonging together, 
is what actually forms our missional witness in the world. It is through our commitment to Jesus, which is seen through our commitment to each other, that we will show the world that Jesus is king. Let me read you a couple passages that maybe you've never considered in this way. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How, Jesus? How will everyone know that we're your disciples and that you are the real king? If you love one another. Can't love people if you're fighting with them all the time. Can't love people if the biggest difference, the biggest thing that you focus on is all the differences you have with other people. Jesus later, this is in the book of John, that first uh, verse was in John 13. In John 17, Jesus writes, he's saying this to the Father. He's praying to the Father as he's about to go to the cross. Father, I am in them, you, Father, in me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me. When the people of Jesus are living in unity, the world knows that the Son of God who suffered and died on the cross and rose and ascended, then they will know who the real king in town is. The world knows Jesus and his kingdom is real when unity happens. So this means it is through our ability to not just belong together, but to work on conflict, to live in community and harmony with people that we disagree with. Here we make credible the fact that the Son of God has entered our world and brought us into his story. So to dig a little bit deeper into this, what does this mean for our life together? This means the church is not designed to meet your needs. The church is not intended to be a collection of people who all think and act the same. If you want a membership, go to a gym. You guys can all be the same there. If you want to join some kind of a club or a society that attracts all the same people, go do that. That's not the purpose of the local church, though. The church is not, des- this is crazy if you think about it. The church is not designed by God to be of like-minded people. The church is designed by God so that the people who are normally enemies are now brought together. That's insane. That's ridiculous. There is nothing like that in the world. Again, what this is, this is actually taking the realities of Jesus in the gospel and fleshing this out. These, these are, I heard one pastor say, these are the, the functional realities of the gospel coming to bear, that Jesus did not just come and die so that my soul could go be with him forever in heaven. Yes, he did come and die so that I could be secure with him forever, but that now is only made credible if we're working out our life together. That's how the everyday realities of the gospel impact our life and our reconciliation together. So, moving on, another implication coming out of this Philippian theology of belonging is that we must be aware of the culture and the world that we live in. We must do business with what is actually consuming and filling our lives. So third implication, as a covenant community, we must regularly do business 
with the culture we live in. Because if we are honest with ourselves, everything in our world and in our society is bent on not needing each other. We live in a society not designed for dependence on each other. We live in a society in America, in the South, even in evangelical Christianity, where the goal of following Jesus, often, if we're really honest, and again, I want you to fight the urge to think it's out there. Friends, this is us. The goal of following Jesus is often, well, what do I get out of following Jesus? How does this impact or help me? What do I get if I commit my life to a group of people together? Because often, other people don't serve and meet my goals. Just this week, I heard a quote on this topic, and it rocked my world. I was listening to this podcast that was talking about the fact that following Jesus is simply often a pragmatic individual pursuit. And thus, many Christians very recently have stopped participating in the life of a local church. This is an article from The Atlantic called Why So Many Americans Have Stopped Going to Church. Okay, that title alone kind of grabs you. Listen to what this writer says. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote care or common life. It's very true. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment and designed for professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or, as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism, the religion of work, reigns in America, and because of it, community in America Religious community included is a math problem that does not add up. It's no wonder so many people don't want to participate in the life of a local church. It's not serving your goal. The air we are breathing is constantly saying, if people don't serve and meet your needs, ditch them. Here's your goals, here's your priorities, here's how you can maximize professional, personal, even spiritual success, but often people will just drag you down. Often the church just drags you down. So this is where, friends, I want us to think about that our commitment to life and community almost functions as a litmus test of where am I? Our life in community, our, the degree to which we center our lives on Jesus and belonging to his people, I think in one sense for some of us, serves as a, as a canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Anyone ever heard of a canary in the coal mine? Miners, when they're working deep underground, are, they have potential to breathe in all these toxic fumes, and they're not even aware of it. So often miners would just drop down dead in these coal mines that they would work in. So what they would do is they'd bring these little canaries in a cage. Literally, I looked up pictures. There's these big, strong miners with their lights and their tools. They're holding these little canaries. They'd set them up in the cave. If you saw that canary drop dead, you knew, okay, something's bad, and I got to get out of here. Friends, allow this to be a canary in the coal mine. 
of are we just living in our world, in our culture, in our society, focusing on our own professional, financial, business success? What's gonna serve me? What pragmatically makes sense for my family? All the while ignoring the very clear commands of Jesus calling us to life together with his people. I hope that hits you the same way it rocked me this week. Not just that quote, but actually connecting the dots of, wow, I do that all of the time. And again, this is where we have to be honest, that the call to live in community, I mean, we can be honest, it often doesn't make sense. Pragmatically, it does not make sense. MC life often does not make sense because it goes completely counter to everything that would make sense about our lives. People in your MC often will not advance your agenda and your goals. They often will not be fun, life-giving people. But what if Jesus had gifted and empowered you so that your life and participation is actually for someone else? What if the call for you to live in community actually is less about you benefiting and you being sent into a community of people to love and serve and lift up people there? And what if that's how Jesus is actually going to draw the world to himself? So I, again, want, just like right here in, in the middle of the sermon, as we're in one sense kind of having some of our hearts exposed, and maybe you're feeling like crap, kind of like I have a little bit this week, I want you to hear, friends, that the call of Jesus in the gospel is not to grovel this and shove this in our face, but to say, friends, respond to grace. Turn to the one who knows you better than you know yourself. See that he's not mad. He's not angry at our lack. He's not wringing his hands because we often get sucked into our consumeristic, pragmatic lives. Jesus, in his grace, saying, yeah, turn, renew your mind, repent, come yet again and listen to what my spirit is telling you. Friends, I want you to hear the gospel that says, yes, we often are selfish. Yes, we often prioritize our own success over belonging to community. And Jesus knows that and keeps coming for us. And his grace is actually what changes our hearts to say, Jesus, I can trust you. And I can throw myself back into life with your people. So, to sum up this point number three, we got to regularly be doing business with this as a church. Regularly asking, are we living more in light of our culture? Are we actually understanding the culture we're living in? And are we willing to bring that canary into the coal mine and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Are we just going along with this? And I would just, if you want to write this down, Ask people. Ask someone, what do you see as most important in my life? Is it the life of Jesus with the life of the people of Jesus? Or are other things? And ask the people in your life who are really honest. Not just the people who you think will give you a little pat on the back. Because this ties into our final point. That we will only be able to belong to Jesus and to each other if we are willing to surrender our ideals of community rather than the real life of community in Jesus. So last implication, as a covenant community, we must surrender our ideals of community. 
We will never grow as a church if each of us chooses to cling to our ideals. Because if we're honest, we all approach church and relationship with expectations of what is important to us, of what we think should be the most important thing. And you know what other church did this? The church in Philippi. Maybe you just want a simple church service, but don't ask too much of me. Maybe you want some nice, friendly relationships, maybe a Bible study here or there, but please don't ask me to hang out with people I don't like. Maybe you want really good, you know, worship times with like a really great band. Maybe you want like John Piper, Tim Keller preaching every week. These are good things to want. Maybe you really care about, you know, living in the neighborhoods and living in community and caring for the poor. Super important. But are you willing to recognize that your ideals of community might not actually be what true community is about? For Redemption Church to grow and flourish, we all must be willing to have our ideals shattered. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm not saying that we don't press for those things. I'm saying you all have your own ideal in your mind. What are your ideals of what missional community life should look like? What are your ideals for how church family life should be structured? Are you willing to have that moved, adjusted, even shattered? The future of redemption depends on if we are willing to grab hold of what Jesus calls us to rather than just clinging to what our ideals are. There was one pastor who wrote and thought a lot about this. He wrote this. In numeral, many times a whole Christian community has broken down because it was sprung up from a wish dream. So then he kind of paints this scenario. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what the Christian life should be and to try to realize that we all know these people who often show up and they're like, this is what we should be focusing on. This is what the goal of the church should be. If you're not a church like this, then I'm not gonna have any part of you. We all know those people. Some of us have often been those people. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. I often lovingly make fun of the network of churches we are part of here called SOMA. They often will, uh, I think how to be nice, Paint life and community as this idyllic situation of backyard barbecues and people just willingly flocking in and wanting to share the Lord's Supper with you and have Bible studies with you. And obviously everyone has perfect kids. If you don't spit up food and rub it into your carpet and rub it across your TV screen, like it's obviously never happened. Um, we, we often look to the, oh, well, this is what ideal community is supposed to be. I still am holding out for that one day. He says, God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship of Christians which will face that disillusionment, 
with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects, begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to community, the better for both. Pause right there. Have you been disillusioned yet by redemption? Have you been shocked yet and frustrated by your life here yet? If you've been, as Scott always says, if you've been here for more than six minutes, you probably have. Has your bubble of what ideal community is supposed to be been wrecked yet? A community, continues, a community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. Last line. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, sacrificial. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who was martyred for Jesus because of his commitment to the gospel. What are your ideals for community? What are you holding on to? What are you hoping will change here at Redemption? What are the ways Redemption has even disappointed you? Where has your MC failed you? You might have a list. Maybe even with some footnotes on that list. Where have Scott and I as pastors failed you? We know we have. I know you know we have. Fill in the blank. How's the church failing you? Great. Now that you've recognized that not only is redemption flawed, but that often your ideals are not happening, you can now say, am I ready to press into real community now? Are you willing to say, I have my ideals and my preferences, even good things, but this church is never going to grow and succeed if I'm not willing to labor alongside of it, even in light of my ideals not being met? So for us, again, even in this like, undergoing of like looking at our covenant, thinking through covenant, what does it mean to partner together for another year together as a church? Are you willing to lay aside your own, choose your own adventure in following Jesus? And maybe proverbially, but also literally to grab a shovel with us here at Redemption and partner with us here. That, that's the call. So are you willing to partner with us here at Redemption for another year? I want to close by making you a promise. I make this promise every year. This is our third year of going through this covenant, and I make this promise every year. I promise you that if you show up consistently, as Scott alluded to, that means in gatherings, within the life of your missional community, jumping into the lives of others, if you show up consistently, and if you seek to love other people well, you will get everything you want out of Redemption Church. You will. Maybe you need spiritual growth. Maybe you feel like your marriage is tanking. Maybe you need friendship. 
Maybe you need to understand what it means to be a disciple. Maybe you need to understand your Bible more. You will get all of that by showing up and loving people. Second promise. I also promise you that if you don't show up consistently, not only will you not grow in not knowing Jesus and your place in his story, you won't grow in knowing your Bible. If you don't love others and jump into life with them, you will instead learn to judge Redemption Church for how it has failed to meet your needs and other people's needs. So, twofold promise for you, Redemption Church. Our belonging together is not only for our good and growth, but our belonging together, church, as we've already seen, is actually how the mission of God goes forward here in Hampton Roads. So are you willing to do that with us here at Redemption? Let's pray. And the band can come up and we're going to close with some singing. Jesus, we do want to humbly submit our lives, our expectations, our ideals over to you. Jesus, I want to be first in the line to say I have not only often failed in jumping into life with you through life with your people, but I often out of laziness, out of anger, out of hurt, out of shame, out of grief, have ignored the call to live in community. Even this week, wrestling with different emotional things in life have rejected the call to jump into life with people. So Jesus, I and each of us here repent, Jesus, for how we have not sought to belong to your people. And Jesus, we can come to you humbly because you tell us the throne room is always open. There is 24-hour access to come and to receive mercy and healing when we approach the throne of Jesus. So Jesus, we ask that you would help us become a people who are committed to belong to each other and through that to see and to show the world that you are the true king. Jesus, many of us here have wounds from community. Maybe we have hid for a long time. Many of us here, Jesus, have really good expectations and ideals and longings for what community could even should look like. Jesus, can you help us? We ask you to take our ideals and not silence them, not push them off, but to recognize my ideal might not be reality right now. So how can I instead press into reality right now. Jesus, even within the life of our missional communities, as we are stumbling and fumbling our way through trying to figure out how to be a committed covenant people together who live together for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. Jesus, we are 
regularly, daily, bumbling and fumbling our way through this? Would you give us clarity? Would you give us wisdom on how to live that life together in our communities? Jesus, we praise you that even in the midst of recognizing areas we need to grow, what is our response? What do you call us to? Not to grovel in the dirt, but to celebrate, to enter the feast, to see that you, Jesus, are the one doing this, even in our weakness, even in our lack, even in our just often stupidity of not knowing how to do life together. So Jesus, even now as we go to sing the truths about you, to you and over each other, would you fill our hearts with joy at the life, at the story that you have brought us into. And even Jesus, as we go to celebrate with food and with drinks and with laughter and stories, Jesus, would you bless that time that we have together? Would you use that to strengthen us as a church family? Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.